turn in your Bibles to the book of, uh, let's say the book of James, James chapter one. We'll start there and then we'll get to the book of Galatians. Try to stay in the book and part of that is because Paul wrote to the Galatian church and he only gave them that book at that time and so that's our primary message. But I wanna talk to you about this. We struggle with the idea of identity and uh, we this passage in James tells us a very interesting thing that I think we should always remember. James chapter one, verses 23 and 24. Many of you know this well, but it speaks of being a doer of God's word and not just a hearer. And then in verse 23, it says this, for, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently into his natural face in a mirror, uh, for he looks at himself and goes away and, for, and at once forgets what he was like. Uh, that language there, the Greek language is kind of hard, but it's the idea that he forgets what kind he is, what kind he is. He forgets the image of the mirror. And, and this morning, we're going to uh, talk about a passage that I think um, is critical uh, as you think about who you are. Um, a lot of times we uh, like to see ourselves different than we are. Uh, I know kids like to wear capes, you know, superhero capes, and I'm, you know, I'm Batman or, or Superman or wherever other the mans are, you know. Like, we, we like the idea of being someone that we're not. And other times uh, we like to forget who we are uh, it's interesting, the enemy does this thing sometimes where on one side, uh, people who don't, haven't trusted in Christ, haven't had their sins forgiven, and they're prompted to think about, hey, you're a sinner. And you go, oh, no, can't be that bad. You know, I'm, not, I'm not bad. Like, other people are bad. We, we have a prison of bad people. In fact, we have other countries, full countries of bad people. But it's not me. It's not me. That's a deception. That's a deception. When you think about, uh, about yourself and you don't see yourself as you are. And then on the other side, the enemy also uses, for those of you who have trusted in Christ, this idea that says, I'm a loser. I'm a loser. There's nothing good in me. There's, there's no hope for me. And I want to tell you, as we look at this, we sometimes struggle with this this. Uh, extremes that neither are true but what we want to see is accurately who we are and so as we even think about this this morning we are looking in Galatians chapter 4 that's where we'll be uh, for the most part of our time and it's going to show us it's going to be a mirror for us to know who we are who we are and I hope uh, this particular passage is really the reason uh, that I love the book of Galatians and the, the reason I wanted to uh, teach the book of Galatians is so I could get to this particular passage and I, I, I was fearing even the idea of preaching it because I just like it and I wanted to, when I read it, I kind of go, well, there it is. There it is, the good stuff right there. Just figure it out. Um, but I think as a pastor, you probably should say a little bit more. Anyways, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from Galatians chapter four, verses one through seven. One through seven. God's word says this. I mean that, that, the, 
that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Verse 3, in the same way also, uh, when, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. God, help us to understand this passage, help us to see ourselves clearly in it. I I pray that you would remove distraction and that our hearts would be open and, and fertile soil for your word and for the change that comes because of Jesus. God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Or I should say you should be seated. Um. So last week, if you were here last week, we talked a little bit about this, and I, I want to point you back, if you still have your Bibles open, you should, um, and you can just turn back to the, the previous chapter, uh, just a few verses up, and verse 28 says this, there, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is slave nor free, there is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and there's a couple of important things as we look back uh, to, to the book, uh, you know, the, the thought in the, or the theme in the book of Galatians is this idea of what has Christ done? How, how has Christ entering into your life, how has it changed you and your future and how you should look at yourself? And he says this, um, it's no more distinctions, right? We always like to make distinctions. We like to say old and young. We like to say uh, color of their skin, one to the other, or color of their hair, or no hair. You know, it's like this, this the guess who game all over and over again, right? Uh, and you're constantly separating people out, and you say you're from this country and from this country, or, or you follow after this religion and faith, and it's all separate. It's all, we're always separating. We're always thinking you like this sport and I like this sport. We're always separating. And as we read the scripture, there is only one thing that changes everything. That's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ. So much so that he says in there uh, that there's neither male nor female. And it doesn't, and I want you to get that list. I talked about it last week. It doesn't mean that people aren't men and women. It doesn't mean that. Nor does it mean that the other distinctions of being from this country or that country aren't true. It doesn't mean that there aren't older people and younger people. It doesn't mean that there aren't rich and poor. Those things are still true, but they're just far secondary issues. Don't have anything to talk about. The, The one issue is this, in Christ, in Christ. I would even back you up even further, uh, just remind you that in the book of Genesis, how did he create humans? How did he do it? Out of nothing? But he, how did he create them? He, he created them, us, 
Every person in his image, in his image, in the image and likeness of God. And so I want to encourage you, even as you think about this world, I think about different occupations. I think of cops, correctional officers. I think of those who deal you know, and the criminals, I, I think of those, even as you think and travel around the world and you see different people who have different values, and it's quick, it's important that you do not do this. They're animals. They're animals. They're not animals. They're made in the image and likeness of God. Every one of them. Every one of them. It could be depraved. They could have given themselves over to vile sins, but every person Every child, every older person is made in the image and likeness of God. And so that should fixate in our minds. And also this, this other piece, later on, if someone comes to know Christ, it changes everything. These are what we learned last week or, last week or the previous verses. But he, but he ends the, the last passage, and this is where we ended up last week. If you look in verse 29, and it says, if, you're, if you are Christ then you're Abraham's offspring and the the Gentile believers in Galatians go, huh, that kind of blows my mind. I'm a Gentile Christian and yet I'm Abraham's offspring. And they would go, I I didn't know that. Like I, I didn't understand that. And then he says this, Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. And now he's going to talk about really what it means to be an heir in these first seven verses. And I want to tell you, this has everything to do with how you identify who you are, what you look at your life as, where are you? And really we're looking for three things here as we look at each of these passages, three points, but in the end we'll come to three, three points to remember. The first one, this first section, verses one and two, future riches. He gives an example uh, of this heir but who looks like a slave, an heir who looks like a slave. Verse one, I, I mean that the heir, someone who has an inheritance, as long as he is a child, is no difference, different than a, from a slave, and the idea there is this, that you can imagine small young boys, let's say four, five, six, seven, somewhere in there. We talked about how you can trust them last week, right? How you can't trust them, right? You can't trust them for anything because they're not trustworthy. And does that matter? Let me ask you, does it matter if the boys come from a poor family or a rich family? No, it does not. Uh, young boys are not trustworthy throughout the world, any place, any demographic, nationality, and finances of a family. They, they can't be trusted. And so th- there's this picture here. And it, what he says is as long as an heir who has an inheritance, as long as he is a child, he is no different from a slave. And the picture here is this, that, that none of these young ones can be left to themselves. None of them. And he says this interesting thing. He says, he's no different than a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Though he's the owner of everything. We we don't know, uh, he doesn't give us any more description, but there's really one of two things. Both, Both are kind of the same. You can imagine a father, a wealthy father, having a young child. 
And, and it's his oldest, and it's obviously in line to inherit all his wealth, and he's wealthy, but he doesn't give the wealth to his four, five, six, seven-year-old for obvious reasons, for obvious reasons. Uh, he doesn't give his wealth to them. And so it looks like, just like a slave would look, a, a parent of a slave, they would look the same, These, this one who's an heir as well as the one who is a slave. Um, There's another picture too that's a possibility and maybe even closer to what we're talking about here is this, the idea of a trust fund. Some of you have known this where a father has a will and the father passes away and though the child is too young to have it, they are wealthy and so there's someone someone who takes care of the trust until the child is of age. And that's what we find in the second verse. He says, uh, but he is, meaning this heir who looks like a slave but still a child. Verse two, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. He uses the word guardians and managers, two different words, uh, many times used interchangeably, but uh, some would say that maybe the first word guardian is the one where is taking care of this young uh, owner who looks like a slave, this one child, he's taking care of him, he's taking care of the children. And the second word, manager, maybe is the manager of the wealth, meaning like a, a property manager or an asset manager, someone who makes decisions for the child, though that is not their own. Um, and so there's this funny thing, the guardians and managers, who who... Are they over the children? Guardians and managers in this passage? Are they over the children? Yes, yes. But are they truly over the children? No. Uh, the, this child that's spoken of, this hypothetical child, is the owner of all. And just for a temporary time, these guardians and managers are over them. And it says, until the date set by his father. Some have referred to us in the Jewish community and really all um, cultures have this. When do you become an adult uh, in, the, in the U.S.? Some of you are saying like 29, you know, right? 18, yeah, yeah. What, ready or not, here I come, right? Ready or not, here I come. That's, and, you know, head for the hills. They're coming. Uh, ready or not, here I come. Uh, in Jewish culture, they had a, a, a bar mitzvah, right? There was a, a coming of age, and there was, this, there, there was also this idea of accountability now, right? You're, you're now an adult, and now you have to live up to what you already are. Um, and he looks to the future in that, and he says, until the date set by his father. And so what we get here is this. What we get here is this heir child that looks a lot like a slave. It looks a lot like a slave. He just looks common. He doesn't look like a man of wealth, riches, or importance because he's just a child. Yet, he is the owner of everything. So there's future riches spoken of here. A slave that looks like, or an heir that looks like a slave. Which brings us to verses three through six. In the same way, and so he's pointing back to the illustration he just gave in verses one and two. In the same way, we also, 
when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Elementary principles of the world. Um, we were enslaved. Most of us understand slavery. We know a little bit about history, both in our country and countries around the world. We realize that slavery even still goes on and there's different forms of slavery. And is slavery good or bad? Bad, right? It just doesn't make sense. The idea of someone owning somebody else and and restricting their freedom and pushing them into labor and and making them do things they they don't want to do. We realize that that's wrong and yet we also realize that it happens, that it happens. Even some willingly going into the issue of slavery uh, just to survive, just to survive. And so when we read this, it says this, in the same way, We also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. I want you to get this. Paul, is he a Jew or a Gentile? Jew. Came to faith in Christ, but his heritage, his family, even his training is Jewish. Um, How about his readers, the Galatians? They were Gentiles for the most part, right? So he's... He's saying, we, we, me plus you, this is true of us. We were enslaved. We were enslaved. Enslaved to what? We were, we were under. Uh, what were we under? The elementary principles of the world. That's a tough uh, concept, the elementary principles of the world. I wish, you know, God knows what he's doing, I'm wrong. But I wish there were more here. I wish that Paul would have written more about what the elementary principles are. As you think about the, the, the Greek words, it's the idea of putting things in a row or the setup, okay? You can picture for some of you who went to school and you remember uh, PE would happen and sometimes your teacher or somebody would go out ahead of time and they'd set up the cones, they'd set up the cones. And those, that setup would be, before you got there, this is how we we're going to do so that you could play the game. The basic setup. Even some have connected this idea to the ABCs. But as you learn to read, what's the first thing you learn to read? do? Alphabet, right? You learn the song. We're not going to sing it here. I'm not going to bring Zach up here and we're going to sing the ABC song. I, I thought the first service, I was wondering if they do that in China too. Many more characters and very, very complicated. It might, might be a different song, but different tune. But the idea is learn the alphabet. That's the starting point. That's the structure. That's the basics, right? The basics of you learning to read. And in the same way, he says, you were, you were under the basics of what? Basics of the world. And you think about what the basics of the world are. There's this right and wrong system. Right and wrong system. Those of you who have been to the prison or know how that happens. We have a lot of people involved there, uh, both by profession and, and other ways have been connected to that. You know that even within the prisoners who have given themselves over to all kinds of sins, there's a system of right and wrong, right? There, there's, there's countries and places where people have never heard the gospel and there's a system of right and wrong. Uh, it's not perfect, it's not, it doesn't even reflect the scriptures, but there's a, a picture of right and wrong. 
And what happens, what happens when you do something wrong? How do you feel? Yeah, everyone feels bad, right? It's interesting, your, your children, even before they learn to talk, if they know something is wrong, they feel bad when they do it. They feel bad, they get sad inside. They know about right and wrong and, and it's this wild thing that it's part of the basic setups of all people all throughout the world. And it was interesting that the Jews knew about right and wrong too. Uh, they, them by revelation from God. They received the commandments. They received uh, the, what God thought of what he wanted and what he didn't want. And so they knew. And how did the Jews feel? Well, they felt great about themselves being chosen. They didn't feel very good about when they had violated the commandments. There was a sense of guilt. And so what you get is a picture of all people. I want you to get that. Paul plus the Gentiles in Galatia, right? Uh, All people being enslaved, being under Uh, condemnation, the the basic setup of this world. Verse four. Verse four is a great Christmas verse. It's a little early, I know. Some of you have been playing music already. Costco can do it, I certainly can. Verse four. Verse four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. In the midst of this, I want you to get this, and it's so hard for me to picture, but as you look at history, some theologians have really spent, written a lot about you know, how, why at this time, why at this time, and they almost, as they write about it, they go, well, the, the, the roads and the Greek language, it finally came to the place where Jesus could come, it's like God's like some kind of contractor that he's waiting around for his workers to finally get it done. But I wanna tell you this, that's not the truth, that, that God's plan and provision and it's all according to his timetable. And it's as if the world was going on doing whatever the world's gonna do and God looks at his own watch that he made According to his time, he says, now's the time. Now's the time. And, and what it looks like in history is that history was just kind of going along like this. And God burst forth into history. How did he do it? He brought his son. He brought his son. He brought his special son in the midst of all that was going on when all humanity was under the elementary principles, enslaved under the elementary principles of the world. Verse four, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. We use the word incarnation. Um, the, the idea of sent forth his son, it, it encompassed, obviously he was born, but there was this sending, he was being born, he came to be and to do, and, and that's all encompassed, and, and it, it slowed down. It's not just that he was born, he was sent. He was sent for a purpose, we're gonna find that purpose. 
He was sent to be here on earth, not just as a moral man, but to do something. But there's two special things we find in verse four. He was born of a woman, born under the law. The first thing, born of a woman, who, who, who has been born of a woman? Okay, that's a majority, that's a majority. You know, I didn't take a count or anything. Some of you are questioning. Um, you're sitting there going, I don't know how to answer that, Pastor. Um, it's a woman, okay? It was. Um, I'm just going to leave it right there. I'm going to come up to the edge and I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to go off into that, okay? Uh, born of a woman. And even as we think of uh, Christ being born of a woman, we think of that special piece of it uh, being of a virgin birth, right? That there was prophecy regarding that, that, that Jesus' birth was special, born of a woman. And born of a woman uh, connects him all, with all of us. The second thing, also connecting us all with him, but in a special way, born under the law. I want to ask you a question. It's important to think of right now. What nationality was Jesus? Where did he come from? What was his family? They were Jewish. That he was part of this promise. We looked at the Abrahamic covenant. We, we know the line of Christ. We know the covenant with David. We, we know these things come about as part of God's plan. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that. He was born under the law, meaning this, that he was a Jew under the law so that he could save both Jews and Gentiles. He could save them all. That his, what he was going to do would be sufficient for all. Verse five. And, and, and this, I, I didn't say this earlier because sometimes I get going and I, I don't know why I'm confessing to you. Um, this second section, verses three through seven, is the plan of Galatian riches. As Paul was talking to this Galatian church, he says, you know, there's future riches, but I want to tell you about your riches. And as I think about Bear Valley Church and us here, I want you to connect with the Galatian riches of what they have in Christ. I want you to see it. Because if you're a follower of Christ, you have those same riches because of what he has done, okay? So verse five, this is why Jesus came. He came to redeem. And as you think about the previous description of being enslaved under the elementary principles, he says now you will be redeemed from those. You, you'll be set free from those. That word redeemed is, is the idea of him being the purchase price, the purchase price for redeeming under the law, under the, really the Ten Commandments to redeem who? Those who are under the law. Who's under the law? Jews, Gentiles, total, everyone, right? That's why Jesus came to redeem those under the law. It gets better. He redeems us under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption as sons. Some of you here today uh, know a lot about adoption. Uh, you've either adopted or you've been adopted. And you, you understand in a greater sense that beautiful picture, that idea of, 
of choosing, of choosing and saying, yes, I will. Yes, I will. And we want you. We want you now in our family. I, I, I want to tell you this, that many of you have seen, uh, you know, movies that maybe have less than uh, ideal picture of adoption. There, there's some kind of, uh, you know, hey, we wanted another worker around here, so we went and adopted one. Uh, you know, we, we wanted them for some other purpose. You know, we didn't have enough kids to work, so we got some kids. You're a farmer, and you, you wanted to do that. Um, there's some kind of other idea. Maybe there was some financial thing involved. You, you know of pictures that didn't work out that well. What I want to tell you is this is the ideal picture, and he's going to belabor it to show you that we start out, where, where did we start out? Slaves. Enslaved, stuck, if you will, not free, restrained. This is where we were, couldn't get out. We were slaves. But at the right time, the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption as sons. He, he's, he's highlighting, he says, you just didn't get brought into the family. You got brought into the family as a, a child, as a son, as a, as a special part, just like any other son. As you think about it, and, and I want to say this early so you get it in your mind. Um, in families, a lot of times they, they would the heir would be the oldest son, the oldest son. And, and the rest of the kids would get some little piece, but the, the son would be the heir. The oldest son would be the heir. And the daughters, a lot of times, you gotta go get married to some rich guy, and that's where you get your, your part of it, right? But what I wanna I get to you, I talked to you about this in the last couple of weeks, is that he keeps saying sons. The idea of that word sons, it's a, um, it's a translation piece. It's a, it's a plural, but it, it could be translated sons and daughters. But the reason they tra- translate it sons is they're, they're highlighting the inheritance piece. And what I want you to get is this, that all, all, men and women, all are enslaved under the elementary principles. All are under the law. All are are stuck. And in the same way, for those who he came to redeem, those who received, they received adoption as sons and daughters, the idea of bringing them into the family. But why does it say sons? Because in verse six, it says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, What he's beginning to say, he already said it in verse 29 of the previous chapter, heir, all that you have, all that you have in Jesus is all that he has. He's giving it to you. And as he adopts you into his family, he gives you his spirit. He gives you his spirit. I want to tell you this. It's not, um, it just says it here. There's not really a bunch of teaching And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts. When did that happen? 
When do you receive the Holy Spirit? Some of you are fumbling through it right now. You're thinking about it. You go, is this the wrong answer? I don't know. This is what I've... Come to faith, you receive the Holy Spirit. It's not two years later. It's not, it's not 10 years later. It's not after you read this book or read that book or have this experience. You have the Holy Spirit because you're saved, because you're a child, because you've been adopted into his family. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And this is so tender and sweet the way this says this. That the father sent his son that we might be redeemed, slaves that are redeemed, set free. We weren't just set free to fend for ourselves. We were set free and he adopts us into his family. And he doesn't just adopt us into his family. He starts giving us stuff giving us stuff. And he doesn't just give us stuff, he gives himself. The Holy Spirit, he gives it to us that we might have all that it is to be a part of his family. Crying, Abba, Father. That word Abba is a, is a tender word, Aramaic of like saying, the, the idea of saying daddy or dada or papa, you know, however you... Uh, would say that. Some of you came from very formal families where uh, you referred to your father and you always said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. In, in my household, the one that I'm in charge of right now, I, I don't do that. I, I, say, I have them say, yes, my Lord. Yes, my Lord. <laughs> and those of you who know my family know that's not true. But um, there's, a tender, there's a tender picture here where, where the child, though once a slave, though it's been adopted into the family, has this relation with the father, not of fear, but of tenderness, that, that as a child, and, and there's, there's a bit of like, as, as you have little ones, what's their first words? Dada, right? Which shows the, the um, important, the, preeminence, superiority, and importance of fathers. Nobody knows. Everyone knows that's not true. Uh, but, but it's that thing. It's that tender child where they look and they go, dada. You know, they, 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 they say that and they, they go and, they, and they, they look at them and they, when they're scared, they run to them, right? They, they, they find a sense of comfort in that. And he says, you, you who are a slave, you who were stuck, you're freed from that being stuck in slavery, but not just freed, you're adopted. And you're not just adopted, you're adopted as a son. And you're not just adopted as a son or daughter, you're adopted with this sweet personal relationship with the father. That's you. It's the plan of Galatian riches. This is what you have because of Jesus. He takes the one who is ready and fit to redeem at the proper time. That one pays the price for those who are under the law. He receives them as adopted, as sons. He grants them his spirit in their inner man 
he allows and calls them and has a relationship of Papa, Father. Amazing, amazing. Which brings us to verse seven. And as I look at verse seven, I, I really, it's a conclusion of this, uh, of this thought process. And I just wanna say this, it's riches to cling to. It's very simple, it's very simple. These are the three things, these are the three things. He says this, so you are no longer a slave. That was number one, slave. You're no longer a slave, but a son. Number two, you're a son. And if a son, then an heir. An heir is that third one. Slave, son, heir. I want to say this, that that for for those of us here today, I I trust that you're here because you wanted to come here. You came on your own volition. Uh, Some of you were drugged and dragged, you know, uh, but but you're here, you're here. But I'm under no illusion that that all of you have trusted in Christ. And I just want to say that that verse 7 is from the believing perspective If you've trusted in Christ, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir, then an heir through God. But I want to say this. If if you haven't trusted in Christ, you'd read this this way. I'm a slave. I'm a slave. I'm stuck. You would go on to say, well, I'm a slave, I'm not a son, I'm not a son, I'm not a child of God, I'm not in the family. And and you go on to say, and if I'm not in the family, there's no inheritance that I'll receive. There's no riches in the future for me. Riches to cling to. A slave, uh, it says you're no longer a slave and you should think in your mind, but I was a slave apart from Christ and so is everyone else, so is everyone else. You know, it's important, um, especially for those of you who have been Christians a very long time, maybe even grown up in a a family of believing people, to stare long and hard at this passage. Especially the idea of being a sinner slave under, uh, under condemnation. To stare long and hard at it. Because that's who every person is apart from Jesus, including you. Slave. The second one is this. A slave to a son. And I think that there's this sense of like, you have to look at what it must have been like to be a slave and, and stuck there. And then the idea of being set free, adopted, brought, in, brought into the family of God. What a, yeah, I mean, that's a long way. That is a long way from slave to son. And it's as if God is circling and saying, I'm not sure you get it yet. I'm not sure you get it yet, but, but let me make sure you get it. If a son, then an heir through God. I want to talk about inheritance for a moment. Uh, You think about someone who who came from poverty and is wealthy. 
or someone who inherited wealth. And, and sometimes the, the practicality of this is not true, but, but, but I wanna ask you a question. Where, where do you think the most pride should be in those? The one who made it on his own or the one who inherited it? Well, the one that made it on his own, right? Because the one who made it on his own, he goes, well, my dad didn't give me anything. Uh, my, my sons and I always laugh about, um, I remember hearing Donald Trump um, talk about his wealth. And he, as he does, he confidently said, you know, I just had a small loan from my father of a million dollars. And uh, my sons remind me of that often. You know, I, I just need a small loan from my father of a million dollars. Um, you look at that, and, and many times a man or a woman who's done it the, themselves, they, they, they like to tell you the story. I was poor, but because I was smart, because I worked hard, because I made this investment or that investment, I'm wealthy today. And I'm not like those other people who weren't as smart as I was and weren't a risk taker and they go on and on and on about how they are better than those. The one who inherits money or wealth, possessions, there's always a story behind it. This came from my dad. My dad did this. Somebody else, or my grandfather, or, or it's always pointing to someone else. And I, the reason I bring this up, if you look at this passage, I, I want you to ask the question, where did your riches come from? Where did they come from? If you're wealthy today, if you have an inheritance, if, if, if this is a good position, an identity for you, where did it come from? Verse seven, then an heir through God. It's his plan, it's his son. It's his spirit that he granted to you. He gave you it all. He gave you it all. And so he deserves all the praise. I want to encourage you to dwell on these identities. First of all, the identity of a slave. For those of you who aren't slaves anymore, remember where you came from. Remember where you were. Slaves, all slaves. Secondly, to identity to dwell on. Some of you here today, because of Christ, and if you know you know Christ, you can say, I am redeemed. I am a child of God because of Christ. In Christ, through God, through God's plan, in his son, Jesus. And then lastly, as you consider your life, if I'm a son, if I'm a daughter, I'm an heir. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I want to end with this, this passage. And the reason I want to, I realize he doesn't include many details. He's going to talk a lot about the riches that we have. But I love this passage um, written by Peter where he talks of a similar truth. And he's praising God in verse 3. And he says this, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's praising him. He just says, this is great. He is great. He deserves the praise. And it says, he's going to tell us why. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to an inheritance 
that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by the power, uh, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He goes on to tell about rejoicing even in tough times knowing that this wealth is yours. I want to talk to you about wealth for a moment. Proverbs tells us that wealth has wings. And some of you know about that well. You see, you, when you talk about riches, you say, I used to have a lot of money. Uh, and somehow, I don't know where it went or how it got out of here. It just like it had wings and it just flew away. It just flew away. Um, wealth has wings. Rarely does it flow, fly towards you most of the time away, okay? And, and I, I think that most of us know that. You know, if you receive an inheritance, what does it mean? Nothing. It means you have that which you have today. If you receive a house, if you receive a car, if you receive uh, gold, silver, I was re- you know, gold and silver, some of you are gold and silver people. If you read the book of Revelation, that's not worth much either, Okay. Um, there, there's a sense of all things are devalued over time. Uh, some fall apart and this and that. But, but what does it say in 1 Peter? It says that the riches of the inheritance are imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's better than FDIC, for sure. For sure. Right? That's a funnier statement, or a funnier four letters than it used to be, Right? Backed by our government. Oh, I'm, I feel confident now. Um, I want to tell you that the wealth, the riches, the inheritance, and the spiritual blessings that we have because of Christ by the plan of God are ours forever. And he did it all. He did it all for us. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and thank you for loving us in such a way um, that you would adopt us, that you would bring us into your family, that you would bring us into a tender spot, that you would love us in that way, that you would give us your spirit and that you'd give us inheritance and cause us to be that heir, that all the riches of, of heaven are ours, not because of what we have done, but because, because of what your son Jesus has done. Help us to rejoice and trust in that. In Jesus' name, amen.